Well, hello, church, and welcome to worship today. So glad you're here. If we haven't met yet before, my name's Ethan, one of the pastors, and glad you're here with us today. Uh, if I start yawning in the middle, forgive me. I spent half my weekend down at TCTC. Uh, we sent 147 people to the Tennessee Christian Teen Convention this year. It's amazing. Biggest group we've ever sent. Uh, like 120 kids and 20 sponsors. Just really incredible. They're having a great time down there. So, but I came, I'm left, I'm left, returned a little sleepy. So you'll have to forgive me here. Um, but we're in the middle of a great series. And I'm glad you're here this weekend. It's called First Things First. And really the idea is we just want to introduce ourselves. Uh, maybe if you've been here a while, it's sort of a reintroduction. You, we've, you, we've already met. Or, but if you're a guest or a visitor around here, maybe it's introducing us for the first time. Uh, we're kind of basing this series off of our welcome class, which is also called First Things First. Meets next week if you want to come uh, to that. And last week, uh, we began our introduction with what we call the big picture. Just talking, what is it that, that all Christians believe? Adam Prophet did a great job just reminding us that, that God loves us and Christ died for us. That all of us are made and loved by God, but all of us have sinned and been cut off from the God who loves us. And that Christ's sacrifice makes it possible for us to be redeemed and reconnected to God. And that we're adopted into God's family and welcomed into God's church. And that Christ will come again to finish the redeeming, redemptive work of God. And all Christians believe that. That's the core and center of our faith. Uh, but, but usually when somebody's getting to know a church, at some point they ask this question, well, what kind of Christian are you? And that always strikes me as a reasonable question. You know, uh, you know Christianity's like ice cream. We've got flavors, right? You know, ice cream, you can't just say, I want ice cream. You've got to tell them, do you want vanilla or strawberry or chocolate or Rocky Road or all these complicated new flavors, right? And Christianity's the same way. We got all kinds of flavors, Baptist, Methodist, Episcopalian, Roman Catholic, you know. And, and, and so when people, you know, meet you or they come visit a church, they often end up asking, uh, what flavor of Christianity are you? What, what kind of Christianity are you? That always strikes me as a perfectly reasonable question, but quite frankly, it's one that's a little tricky for me to answer. Because really the best answer I know how to give is just to say, well, we're, we're plain Christianity, we're just sort of basic Christianity. I mean, that's what we're trying to be anyway. We're just trying to be just the plainest Christians we know how to be. Uh, in fact, our movement of churches, the whole group of churches we're a part of, it was started by Christians from all different flavors, Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians, and they got tired of arguing over which flavor was better, and they said, let's just be ice cream. I mean, let's just be Christians. That's what they said. They didn't mention ice cream. Let's just be Christians. That's what they said. Uh, why don't we focus on what we agree on? The stuff Adam talked about last week. Grab the CD or check it out online if you missed it. And let's stop arguing about all the rest. And let's just be Christians. Which is why, I must admit, the name that we picked for our little flavor of Christianity, it's super annoying, right? Because like somebody asks you, oh, I'm a Baptist. What kind of Christian are you? And you just say, oh, I'm a Christian. And like, yeah, I know. We're both Christians. Awesome, good. Yay, Christians. But what kind of Christian are you? Like, um, the Christian kind of Christian? Like, we didn't come up with a good name. Like, we had, we had a terrible marketing department. But, but no, it was on purpose, right? Like, on purpose, the, the founders of this movement, we said, we're going to pick the worst name we can think of because we just want to be plain Christians. So, like, we're not even going to come up with a name. We're just going to call ourselves Christian churches. Like, that's all we got. Like, we couldn't think of anything cooler than that. And, and, but it's on purpose because that's who we're trying to be is just plain Christians. Uh, what I want to talk about today is just kind of four 
ways we're trying to be plain. Uh, And really, these are all just expressions of us just trying to be basic Christianity. But maybe thinking of it through these four ideas will help us. Uh, The first way is this. We are trying to restore the church. And especially, we're trying to restore the unity, the oneness, and the simplicity of the church. We think the church maybe has gotten more complicated than it needed uh, to be. Because it turns out this thing we've got where all these flavors of Christianity are all different and all arguing, that's actually a problem. Uh, Paul wrote to a church in Corinth, he wrote this, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in Jesus Christ. That there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. I'm this flavor of Christianity. I follow Apollos. I'm that flavor of Christianity. Another, I follow Peter. I'm another flavor. And still another, I follow Christ. I'm the original flavor. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Paul goes on to talk about how, how, how we are meant to be united under the one name Jesus Christ, just plain Christians. We've got a slogan that helps us remember this, this mandate, this part of our mandate to be just plain Christians. You'll, you'll discover we've got a slogan for everything. Our little movement of churches, we love slogans. Here, here's the first one I want you to learn. We are not the only Christians, but we are Christians only. Try saying that with me. Get that back on the screen for a second. Start saying that with me. We are not the only Christians, but we are Christians only. Here's what that means to us. It means we have exactly no time available for criticizing other Christian groups. Like we're just too busy. We got no time to make fun of the Baptists or to say what we don't like about their Catholics or talk bad about the Episcopalians. We got no time for any of that. Because they're Christians. We know we're not the only Christians. We know we don't do everything right. They probably do some stuff right. We do wrong. We're not the only Christians. We get that. We think they're awesome. We think they love Jesus and Jesus loves them. Like, yay them. And we want them to thrive and God to be glorified. That's great. And we want to celebrate what we agree on. But as for us, we are going to be Christians only. We're going to try super hard to focus on the center of Christianity, what unites all Christians, and not focus on the things that divide us. Again, this tendency goes all the way back uh, to, the, to the history of this movement. Uh, some of the early leaders of this movement, especially a guy named Barton Stone, uh, he was a high muckety-muck in a small denomination called the Springfield Presbytery. They were this small Presbyterian denomination, and actually Barton Stone had helped found it. And they were a growing deal. Lots of churches and churches were getting added, and the churches were growing. It was a really effective, successful denomination. There was only one thing they didn't like about it. They felt like it further divided the church, and they would have rather been just plain Christians. So they had a meeting, and what they did was they killed the whole denomination. They just shut the whole thing down, and they said, we're just going to be just plain Christians, just Christian churches from now on, with no special organization or special name. They, they wrote a document. I love the name of this document. It's called The Last Will and Testament of the Springfield Presbytery to be read upon their death. And so, uh, they, they, not, the, not their individual death, but the death of the denomination. So they wrote this document and they published it in all the papers in the area. Here are a couple paragraphs from it. We will that this body, that is their denomination, die, be dissolved, and sink into union with the body of Christ at large. Their whole point was, we just want to be Christians only. 
We don't want to stand out. We just want to be plain Christians. For there is but one body and one spirit, even as we are called to one hope of our calling. Later, like 10 paragraphs down, they wrote this. We will that preachers and people cultivate a spiritual of mutual forbearance. Pray more and dispute less. Because see, they knew they weren't the only Christians. They're like, could we just argue less? Wouldn't that be great? And while they behold the signs of the times, look up and confidently expect that redemption draweth nigh. Stone wrote elsewhere, um, if we know that Jesus will return soon, shouldn't we argue a little less and focus on Christ a little more? And this tendency has just been in our movement the whole time to just try to be the plainest Christians we know how, to be Christians only, but to also always remember we're not the only Christians and never get in a posture of kind of arguing or picking on other churches because we think they do it wrong. We're just going to, for our own sake, be the plainest Christians we know how. All right, here's another way we're plain. Just plain old brand X Christianity. For us, the Bible is our only authority. It's the only book we've got by which to govern and lead our churches. We've got a slogan for this too. Again, as I said, we've got a slogan for everything. The slogan for this one is, no creed but Christ. No book but the Bible. Try that one with me too. No creed but Christ. No book but the Bible. Now here, to understand this, I do need to draw a contrast with some of the other flavors of Christianity in the world. Now, this isn't a criticism of how they do things. Remember, I got no time for criticism. I'm too busy. But it is a contrast because I want you to understand the point I'm trying to make. Most other flavors of Christianity, in addition to Scripture, which they would obviously say they're founded on Scripture, they have written or collected some sort of doctrinal statement. Maybe it's a book or something else that organizes what they believe. And if you agree with that book, then you're one of them. And if you disagree with that book, you're not one of them. So the Baptists have the Baptist faith and message, which they they update about every five to ten years. And the the Catholics have the, the the catechism of the Roman Catholic Church. They have a short version and a long version. I have read the the short version uh, because it's shorter. Uh, I haven't read the long one because it's long. Um, But anyways, uh, uh, let's see, the the Episcopalians have the Book of Common Prayer and the Constitution and Canons. The Presbyterians have the Westminster Confession. And, And for these groups, they find these books super useful at kind of organizing what they have agreed to believe. And if you believe everything in those books, you're kind of one of them. And if you don't, you're kind of not one of them. And I got no criticism of how they roll. But it's worth you knowing, we don't do anything like that. Uh, We have just said, as a movement of churches, and this is true of this local church too, all we have is the Bible. We very intentionally said, uh, one more slogan. I got a bunch of slogans about the Bible. Here's one. We've said the Bible is our only rule for faith and practice. When we're trying to figure out what to believe, all we've got is the Bible. Nothing, no statement that helps us organize it or whatever. When we're trying to figure out what to do, all we've got is the Bible. We're going to try to do what they did in the Bible. That's if we see they, they did that way, we'll do it that way too. And, and we've very intentionally said every time we have a question of leadership or doctrine or faith or teaching, we're just going to go back to the Bible and trust that the Bible is sufficient to guide the church. 
we're kind of really leaning into a verse that Adam read for us last week. All scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Paul writes that in Timothy. It's, and we figure if the Bible is good for that, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, well then we're just going to let the Bible function in that way for us. Like that, we'll just depend on the Bible in that way. And again, like I said, this, this pattern of just the Bible alone as our guide goes all the way back to the beginning from that same document, the last will and testament there. We will that the people henceforth take the Bible as the only sure guide to heaven and as many as are offended with other books which stand in competition with it may cast them into the fire if they choose for it's better to enter life having one book than having many be cast into hell. And, and notice, Stone isn't actually saying all these other books are bad. He's just saying if those books are throwing you off, like if, you, if you're like, I agree with the Bible, but I don't agree with the Westminster Confession, Stone's like, fine, well, who cares? Just focus on the authority of the Bible. Now, sometimes when I talk to people who are from other flavors of Christianity or leaders in churches of other kinds of churches, they'll sometimes ask me this pragmatic question. Well, even doesn't that just take longer? Like, like, if every time you have a doctrinal question, you've got to go back and pull out your Bibles and find the relevant verses and argue about what they mean and how to interpret them and get people in a room, like, wouldn't it be faster if you just had a book somewhere and you turned to page 140 that already told you what to believe about that issue? And don't you sometimes, like, disagree about what the Bible means on a topic and how to apply it? Wouldn't it be simpler if that disagreement got settled by some vote of some committee somewhere and you kind of knew and never disagreed on stuff? Well, yes, of course. Of course it takes longer. And of course it'd be easier the other way. But we're just convinced that the, the only book we've got that has been approved by the church and sealed with God's inspiration is the Bible. And so we're going to always go all the way back, even if it takes a little longer, even if it sometimes... Uh, well, here, we got, 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 you, you, did you want one more slogan on this one? Here's another slogan. I like this one. We, we say this. Where the Bible speaks, we speak. Where the Bible speaks, we speak. If we go back to Scripture and Scripture's clear on something, well, then we're going to be clear on it, doggone it. Where the Bible is silent, we are silent. If we go back to Scripture and find that it doesn't comment on it, doesn't make a ruling on something, well, then we're not going to make a ruling on it either. You know, I have people come tell me, you know, the Bible says you have to vote for this party or you have to vote for this party. I'm always like, I forgot that verse. Like, I've read through it a couple times. I don't remember that verse. But if you'd show it to me, I'd believe it, because if the Bible speaks, I speak. But where the Bible is silent, we need to be silent. And I've added a third phrase to that, because this is very practical sometimes. Where the Bible is confusing, we are confused. You know, if, if three God-fearing, God-loving Christians who love God's word are studying it together, and one thinks it means this, and the other thinks it means that, and the third one isn't sure, well, maybe they should just stay a little confused until it's clear rather than insisting that one of them has to be right and everybody else has got to be wrong. That's what it means to root your faith in the Bible alone. It's our only rule. So do we sometimes disagree about how to apply Scripture? Absolutely. Do we sometimes get it wrong? I'm sure we do. But what we're going to do as a church is just keep going back to God's Word and trust that it will be the guide we need for what we want to believe and what to do as a church. All right, third thing we're working on as we try to be plain Christians is we're working to strive for unity. We're convinced that plain Christianity, 
brand X, no-name Christianity, generic Christianity, like it's on the bottom shelf of the store. You know, we're not like saltines. We're those weird crackers down at the bottom you've never heard of. That's us. But we're convinced that plain Christianity can be a force for unity among all the churches. A a group of Christians that stands up and say, we're not going to pick a fight with you. We're not going to pick a fight with you either. We're just going to focus on the center of what we all agree of. We think we can actually not just can this church stay unified and our movement stay unified, but we can actually help with the unity of all God's people. We got a slogan. I know you were desperately waiting for it. Here we are. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. I know this is the longest one so far, but so try it with me. You can say it. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. I just tell you, I believe that with all my heart. I think getting that right is one of the most important virtues of this movement of churches we're a part of, of this local church. And if we can get better and better at this, we will advance God's kingdom faster and faster in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, in all things love. Now, full disclosure, our little movement didn't invent this phrase. This one is at least as old as the 400s. It probably dates back to the 200s. It's a super early idea in Christianity. And you won't be surprised to know it's rooted precisely in Scripture which is why it's so important to our movement because we find it in the Bible and that's our only rule for faith and practice. Uh, Paul writes to the Roman church because they're having a problem with being disunified over some non-essentials. Here's what he writes. Except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats anything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Let me tell you what's going on here. In the ancient Roman world, when an animal was killed to be prepared to eat, at the moment of killing it, a sacrifice was offered to the Roman gods. So the eating of meat was all tied up with pagan idol worship. And so some Christians thought that if you bought meat from the butcher, you were participating in idol worship. And some Christians thought, no, 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 we're just just getting meat from the butcher. It doesn't matter. But some thought this was idol worship and some thought it wasn't. And so there there was a disagreement in the church. Paul says, don't judge. God has accepted them. Verse four, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. So he says, if they're going to get in trouble, they'll get in trouble with Jesus. Because they're eating meat they shouldn't eat. Or not eating meat they should eat. And if that makes you worried, he goes on to say, but don't worry, they will stand. Not because they're right. Not because they figured out the big meat question. That why will they stand? Because their Lord is able to make them stand. God's grace is enough, even if they've got it wrong. So you don't have to stress about it. He gives us another example. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. He's talking about keeping the Sabbath here. Some thought you still had to, some thought you didn't. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and give thanks to God. A few verses later, therefore let us stop passing judgment on each other. Again, I can't stress enough what Paul is teaching them about here. 
These are not little incidental things like what color the carpet and the walls should be, okay? This is big stuff. They're arguing over idol worship and Sabbath keeping, which are both part of the Ten Commandments. This is two-tenths of the Ten Commandments that they disagree on how to keep. And Paul says you can disagree on how to follow the Ten Commandments and still be unified as a church because those aren't the essentials. The essentials are Jesus Christ and how he saves us and the authority of God's word in our lives. In essentials, unity, but in opinions, even over things like idol worship and Sabbath keeping, liberty. How could you pull that off? Well, there'd have to be a lot of love. Listen how Paul wraps up that section, Romans chapter 15, verse 5. This is his, the end of his section on unity, even when we disagree. Here's what he says. May the God who gives endurance, okay, so you're going to need some endurance to pull this off, and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Paul says because of our unity in the grace of Christ, we can disagree even on big stuff like the Ten Commandments and still be one church. Again, one more example from the history of our movement. Um, so I already mentioned this guy, Barton Stone, super important to the founding of this idea of just plain old Christianity. Another guy really influential at around the same time was a guy named Alexander Campbell. He also was rallying for what he called creedless Christianity. Just, they're going to just be plain Christians. These two guys heard about each other and wondered if they could work together. So they started writing a series of public essays back and forth that got published in a few magazines uh, in, in the region, and, and they would write to each other to find out what they agreed on and what they disagreed on. Now, I'm not a great church historian, but I did go back and look through some of these and, and make a little list of some of the things that they disagreed on. Here's what these two founders of this movement of plain Christianity disagreed on. All right, here, ready? Campbell was a Trinitarian. Stone was not. They disagreed on baptism, when you should get baptized, who should do the baptizing, and how you should get baptized. They disagreed on church membership, who could be a church member, when they became a church member, how long they stayed a church member, and what a church member ought to do. They disagreed about communion practice, when you took communion, who led the communion service, who was allowed to take communion, how often, where, and what style, and everything else. They disagreed about the name of this movement. Campbell thought they should be called disciples. That was the plainest name he could think of. Stone thought they should be called Christians, because that's what they were called in Antioch. They disagreed about worship styles, the kind of music, how much music, who should play the music, and who should lead the singing. They disagreed about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, what they looked like, how they were manifest, and when you got them. They disagreed about human nature. Campbell was so hopeful for all we could do in Christ and the achievement of sanctification. Stone was a pessimist. He thought we were so corrupted by sin, we'd never be sanctified in this life. We'd be sinners till the day we died. They disagreed sharply on evangelism. Stone wanted to do passionate and emotion revival, emotional revivals out in the countryside. Uh, Campbell preferred logical arguments and debates on college campuses and in courthouses around the cities. And they both loudly and clearly criticized each other for what they saw 
saw were poor evangelistic methods. They disagreed on church leadership, who could be an elder, when they became an elder, how long they became an elder, and what elders were supposed to do. They disagreed on the end times. They disagreed about when Jesus was coming back, how we would know Jesus would come back, and what Jesus would do when he did come back. At the end of all these letters, they wrote back and forth, published for everybody to read. This was a public correspondence. Of all the things they disagreed about, Campbell writes, I therefore see no reason we cannot merge our two movements and work together for the glory of God. I'm like, what are you talking about? You see no reason. I see like 15 reasons, and I'm not even a good church historian. Like, you bring somebody real in here, they could come up with 25 more things they disagreed on. What was, what, what, what was the deal here? Well, they agreed on Jesus. They agreed on salvation. They agreed that the Bible was the only rule for faith and practice. Though to be clear, they disagreed about what the Bible taught on a long list of things. But they agreed the Bible was the authority that was judging the matter. Basically, everything two Christians could disagree on and still know they're both Christians, these two guys disagreed on. And neither one of them could think of one reason they couldn't just work together for the glory of God. And when this movement is at its best, and when this church is at its best, that's still who we are. In essentials, unity. In opinions, liberty. In all things, love. The secret, of course, is to keep your list of essentials short, right? That's the way people sneak around this, is they start adding things in. You know, homeschool or public school, that's an essential for sure. You know, that goes goes on the list. No, this list of essentials has to stay super short. Here, if you want a good rule of thumb, here, this helps me. Ready? If we can both get to heaven and find out who was right, it probably wasn't an essential. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it isn't the core of how we respond to the grace of God and receive God's restoration into God's family, then I don't think it's an essential. In fact, one of my favorite things about our movement of churches and in this local church, I love how much we disagree on. We disagree about politics and who you should vote for. We disagree about school, homeschool, public school, private school, Christian school, no school. We disagree about creation and evolution. We disagree about pacifism and war. We disagree about all this stuff, and I love it because it's the clearest way I know to say where our, where our unity is is in Jesus Christ and not the fact that we agree on everything. And we are going to stay committed to loving each other. And boy, it does take a lot of love. Loving each other in essentials unity and non-essentials liberty and all things love. All right, one more thing that plain Christians or, or I think have just got to be trying to do. If you just want to be a plain old everyday Christian, one place you've got to be focused, one more thing, is we are trying to reach the lost. We're trying to reach the lost. Again, I know by now you're just desperate to know, is there a slogan attached to this one? There is, don't worry. Our movement, we've got a slogan for everything. Here it is, ready? We want to be one that the world may be one. O-N-E, W-O-N. Say that with me. We want to be one that the world may be one. And interestingly, if we want to have a little fun, what would it look like for the world to be one, W-O-N? It would mean for the world to be one, O-N-E, with God and with Christ. That the whole world be united back to God. We want to be united so the whole world can be united back to God. You read about the early days of our movement And basically, you had a bunch of Christian leaders who were just so tired 
of turning Baptists into Methodists and Methodists into Presbyterians and Presbyterians into Episcopalians and Episcopalians right back into Baptists. They were tired of arguing over who was the better Christian or the right Christian or the be- what was the best way to be a Christian. And they said, what if we just stopped arguing over which flavor of Christianity we were and started selling ice cream? Started just announcing to the world that hasn't heard that there's a Savior and his name is Jesus Christ. And that's still our hallmark today. We're just committed to not waste any time arguing over the things that divide Christians because we are too concerned about the people who don't even know there's a Savior for them. Next week, in our introduction, we're going to talk a little bit about this local church, like the FCC Johnson City. What are some things that we're really working on that we think God has really kind of put for us to try to do? Uh, But this week, I really want you to think bigger than that about the movement we're a part of and whether it's a movement you want to be a part of. We're just trying to be plain Christians unified around one person, Jesus Christ. We're trying to be one so that a lost world that hasn't heard about Jesus can be one. And I, I'll just be, for me, for me, as far as I'm concerned, that's, that's the kind of group of Christians I want to be a part of for my whole life. And I'm just so glad you're here for it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the invitation to just be plain Christians, to just follow Jesus and let our love for one another be enough to to cover over all the things we disagree on. Let our love for one another be enough to to bind us together even when there's stuff we gotta work out and we're not sure and don't think all the same way. God, I thank you for Jesus who has not given up even on the church, but calls us back to center our unity around him and the proclamation of his good news. Would you make us, God, just plain Christians, just plain followers of Jesus? And that when, when people meet us, what they would know about us is not what flavor of Christianity about us, what they would know about us is that we follow you and that they would want to follow you as well. That's our prayer today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.